Conan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of your women. That is good. That is good. Maybe you can hum the theme song. Won't hold it against you if you get parts wrong. While the memory's not too strong, there's a piece of you from a time long gone. So while these fuzzy warm feelings remain, question we ask is still the same. Is the treasure or just plain lame? Is this still good? Hello and welcome back to Is This Still Good? A podcast about uh, whiskey stills and uh, general distillery uh, bouts, grains and whatnot. And did I, did I at least say the title well enough that that joke landed? It doesn't have to be a good joke. I just want to make certain that it's... <laughs> I'm I'm a host. The stage. joke is on still, right? Because yes. whiskey's made in stills. I believe so. I didn't do research for this joke, but it sounds uh, sounds right. No. Is distill good? <laughs> yeah, is distill good? Okay. Uh, that other voice you hear is Gavin Murray. It is. Hey, and I'm Gavin. Gavin, what do we actually do on this podcast? Oh, we take a look back at childhood treasures, remove some nostalgia goggles, and decide whether things are. Uh, well, whether or not we've wasted an hour and a half uh, dredging it up and talking about it. Man, that is painfully accurate. And do we do this alone? No, usually we bring along a guest. That's right. And uh, today we have uh, Rodrigo Reyes, a friend and colleague of mine who I've worked on several of his films. Uh, I'd go so far as to call him a mildly acclaimed independent director. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Rodrigo, how's it going? It's going well. It's going mildly well. <laughs> I, I told him about this podcast, and uh, knowing him as someone who, from the from the movies I've seen of of you, Rodrigo, uh, you make movies more subdued about the uh, about the human condition, with maybe a through line of uh, what what violence does to the world. <laughs> but I. I I had uh, certain expectations of what you might pitch to talk about that was important to you. And uh, what did you bring us today? Well, you know, I, I think that's a good qualifier. I, I, I am interested in these existential questions around the human condition, around violence. And I guess you could say my films are art house. Uh, and so, of course, uh, the film I'm bringing to you today is uh, Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> which is a film i really really love actually i honestly wholeheartedly love this movie follow-up question what is best in life <laughs> oh well for those who haven't seen the film it's uh, clearly you know massacring your enemies and taking their women specifically looking for those lamentations i believe <laughs> yes the lamentations are, must be there so did you, you grew up with this movie? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, there was a period in the 80s for all of us who grew up in the 80s and 90s, I guess, even the 90s, where we were watching like all like the same movies, right? Like we were all like kind of like plugged into the huge Hollywood studio machine of, you know, the the golden age of action movies. And and so I watched I watched Conan at a very like what would be considered highly inappropriate age of like <laughs> six years old or something. Wow, you know. Now you're you're a, f a few years older than this, but you're not old enough to have seen it like in theaters when it came out. I don't think they'd let a six year old into the theater to see this movie, like even with a parent. I mean, I don't know how it worked back then. <laughs> this is before the PG thirteen <laughs> movies. Fair. I guess it depends on the theater and. Uh 
how sticky the exit door is, you know, all no, those Conan, factors. Conan came out the year before I was born. It's uh, 1982, and I'm in, uh, I'm from 1983. So I watched it on VHS. And, and the crazy thing is that I realized um, I did not watch the original version for a long time. Or I, because I had, you know, these weird memories of scenes, um, but then like once i once i watched the the director's cut there was like all these things there so i don't even know what i actually watched as a kid if i watched it on tv or 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 if it was on on tape and if it was edited out or what you know all the all the violence and gore and sex you know i'm really curious do you remember who showed you this at 6 <laughs> oh absolutely it was my parents you know my, both of them mom. together <laughs> both of them together um you know, inspiring me to to really love Arnold. You know, I remember being being scared of the snake. You know, and they would mm -hmm. warn me. You know, the snake is coming, and like in in you know Conan the Barbarian, and you know we watched all of them, all the movies. Um, you know, all the way up through Red Sonia, and then like other spinoffs like Willow. Um, but the funny thing is, my parents were like like really into um, you know these action movies like Die Hard. Conan, you know, the whole generation predator, but they didn't seem to have issues with the violence, you know, mm -hmm. like, like the, the, the really fucked up violence in these films was okay, but the sex was always like reason to fast forward. So that's another reason why I think like I watched the film in an, in an, in an impressionistic way, you know, cause like I probably missed like chunks here and there because they were constantly fast forwarding through, through all the, all the nudity. <laughs> which is a decent chunk of of this movie i think that's pretty common in um in in families in our culture and certainly the way that america uh views movies in general because my 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 parents would let me watch uh someone kick through someone else's head but if someone's shirt comes off like i'm too young for that see my parents i remember the the censorship came with uh just watching any sort of television and the way I had to watch TV was anytime a commercial break happened, they would turn off the TV and just make me guess when the show would come back on. <laughs> and then I could turn the TV back on. But I'd always miss like the beginnings after commercials of like returns from commercial breaks. It's a really weird way to watch television. <laughs> and geographically, where are you uh, when you see Conan for the first time? I'm not sure if I saw it first in Mexico. Or right after I moved from Mexico to the U.S., okay. uh, which is, uh, you know, Central California out there in Merced. So it's either Mexico City or Merced. Um, but, but you know, like, it's all a blur for me. Right. So you probably wouldn't be able to answer my real question, which is, what is it like to rent a VHS in Michoacan? <laughs> so, so, um... I I remember that we would go to this uh this video store in Merced for sure. I don't know if we had a VHS player in Mexico yet. So I might have seen it definitely in in the US if just by going by the technology. Um and we were like members of this place called Merced Video and like they just, you know, it was like a classic, you know, small video store and it was awesome, you know, we would we would just like spend hours, you know, pouring over the, the VHS covers and trying to determine if you want to watch a film. And, yeah. You, you know? 
I love that feeling. And like, you know, seeing the staff picks. I remember once, I think I might have already told the story, but like the place I would go to was Tower Video in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd see what was like, I wound up with like really weird things. We talked about Rama one half. I wouldn't have watched that without being in that video store. And like the tick live action series from like the early two thousands was, they had it playing on in the store. And I was like, what is this? Can I, can you show me where to rent this? And like, Oh, we only have one copy. And then he went over and like ejected it from the DVD player, really like sad and slow <laughs> looking back. And he's like, you're really going to, take my the thing i was watching and i was like i don't know how to react in this situation i'm like 14 i'm sorry it's all he has <laughs> yeah it was an event man you know you'd, you'd grab some food and it was friday night and you'd rent the movie for like three days and you'd, I, I remember haggling with my mom you know because there were movies that were that cost more and movies that were like two dollars oh interesting and yeah. it was it was awesome it was just like it made it such a such an experience you know because yeah you have to go through this whole ritual to get a hold of this this fucking movie, um, and it was awesome. I th- I think it just it, that and the very young, impressionable age ma- made the film really kind of hit me very hard, you know, because it, it was it was not something I should have been watching. I guess you know, <laughs> the um, the fishing village I grew up with had. Uh had fisherman deals where it'd be five movies for five days for five dollars so you could take them out on the boat where most people had installed little tv sets with with vhs players in them um and i did watch this movie as a kid um probably later probably like 12 or 13 you know a responsible age (laughs) but one of the things when you watch you know five movies in a day because i'm not actually helping my dad that much on the boat i am mostly watching movies and then like i will i will take the gutted fish and i'll throw them in the cooler that was my job i'm not i'm not gutting the fish uh when you watch that many movies in a row you forget all of them and none of them mean anything (laughs) as i'm sure many of us discovered during quarantine they'll blur into a waking dream yeah so uh and i watched a lot of these uh low fantasy sword and sandals type movies and uh wasn't able to really tell them apart uh i didn't think i had seen this movie before <laughs> and when i re i wasn't sure if i'd seen it before um but enough of the moments stuck out did you ever um read any of the books or or did you steeped in that mythology comics anything that I, I was really into comics, but I was never really into Conan comics or the Conan novels. I wasn't I wasn't really into any of that. And which is which is funny because it feels like everyone who came into this movie, like ninety nine percent of the people are the same way. Like they had never heard of it and then, you know, it just they they got into it through the movie, not not through the the lore. Um, but I'm a huge comic book dude. And, uh, I way back from Mexico, like, you know, just starting with things like, like DuckTales comics and stuff like that when I was a very little kid and then moving on to like the classic Marvel DC stuff. But I, I was never really into the Conan, um, books. I, I did get a hold of some of them once, once I was older, but it just, it's a different kind of relationship as an older kind of consumer or reader, like to get into this world. It doesn't feel the same. Like like last mm-hmm. night when I was watching this movie again, I, I remember the last time I watched it, which was like five, six years ago. And just like I, I got it. I was excited to watch this again. You know, like I was like, 
like really excited. I got a bottle of mezcal. I like I was like watching it and drinking, you know, like my favorite alcohol. And my wife knew that, you know, it's like me time. Got to leave me alone because I'm I'm doing my thing with Conan. You know, you don't interrupt a man when he's bonding with Conan. Exactly. I remember I had a I had a like the whole collection of books when I when I was in high school. I, I uh, I moved into my grandpa's old house in high school, my uh, my grandparents' place, and my grandfather was really about collecting like a lot of lot of fantasy and spy novel stuff, and like I kept trying to read different parts of it. Like I had the whole Ian Fleming Bond series, I had the whole Conan series. I got through one book, which definitely left me confused when I was watching Conan the Destroyer. I'm not sure if I read the book or watched the movie, because it is just like a weird smattering of things happening, like. It's just how you describe, I think, the whole series. <laughs> yeah, I, I was really trying to place whether I'd seen any, because I definitely hadn't seen the first movie. That was all new to me. Huh. It was very interesting seeing, um, you know, Mufasa with blue eyes. Uh, <laughs> and no mask and no breathing apparatus. And, and that and that uh, Betty Page haircut. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all new to me. I didn't uh I didn't grow up with the Conan books. My dad read a lot to me growing up. A lot of Edgar Rice Burroughs, a lot of uh like Harry Harrison, more in the sci-fi side of things, um which I guess like John Carter of Mars and Carson of Venus are sci-fi, but they're very much in this high adventure mold uh where and also John Carter I think straight up has wizards in it if I remember correctly. Space wizards though. Right. I mean, what is sci-fi if not space wizardry? There's a there's a difference. Yeah, yeah. And I always wonder how how those books hold up. I mean, I guess we could do a book on this podcast about things holding up or not holding up. But uh I'm always I'm always scared because those are always written, you know, by different people for different audiences. Uh, even taking out content, just the prose can be mm -hmm. a little off-putting. I, I was talking with you, Gavin, recently about uh, I picked up the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft, which I was surprised to find out is like one 500-page book because I guess he just wrote one book and some of the short stories. Um, and I've always loved Lovecraft as uh, as a man of ideas without ever reading anything he's written just seeing interesting yeah. adaptations or just even seeing summaries and being like whoa this is crazy and it turns out a man gazes into the sky and goes slowly insane uh, is interesting in a paragraph and maybe not across a whole <laughs> book yeah i mean part of what makes him really special isn't him <laughs> it's that he was really okay with people taking his ideas and changing and improving upon them and so part of his legacy is just people responding to his work because he was not by any means the best writer in the world and, you know, had a lot of problematic stuff about him, too. But he was able to instigate a lot of conversations that have led to, you know, the Cthulhu, the idea of like Cthulhu and like these Elder things Gods that we can. Know. Yeah. And the Necronomicon, things that you can steal and take into other pieces like huge Evil Dead 2 fan. And that still owes some debt to H.P. Lovecraft simply for bringing in the Necronomicon and the idea of like pure evil and, and ancient evils. Yeah. He's a terrible process. He's a his <laughs> prose is, is, is unbearable. <laughs> like it's so hard to get through it, but the concepts are great, you know? Um, and, and the concepts almost like, uh, 
supersede his grave, you know, limitations as this like really kind of uh, crazy racist, you know, mm-hmm. insular, uh, you know, ludite person, you know, like. But the concepts are great, and I think it's kind of the same with Conan. Like the the author for Conan, I guess, was like just insufferable as a human being. <laughs> Well, they're nice. actually like best friends, is why I bring this up. Like, <laughs> oh, uh, interesting. Robert E. Howard and H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, and there's uh, references in each other's books to to their mythology. So, like, they, they wow. may or may not take place in the same shared universe. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's different, but like, there are elder gods in in Conan, uh, in that in that mythology. And elder gods is obviously just what everyone in the in the what is called the Hyborian Age. Um, that period post the fall of Atlantis and pre-actual civilization uh, in this mythology. Yeah, no, those would just be old gods, so they'd be called elder gods. And I didn't do enough research to know if they're the same thing, but uh, that is why I bring up Lovecraft. That is interesting. Yeah, they're both uh, originated in weird tales, as did, uh, I believe, Cthulhu. You know, that makes sense because uh, the the Conan stories are incredibly hyper-violent, right? They're like super, super violent. And there, there doesn't always seem to be like a purpose. There's like this kind of nihilistic side to it. I would agree with that. <laughs> that explains the movies I just watched. <laughs> <laughs> One of the the reasons I am excited to talk about this movie is when it when it came out in the early '80s, it is kind of the perfect intersection between a lot of interesting trends in movies. Or maybe that's the wrong way to say it because it's also the start of some of them. And obviously, the the biggest one is is Arnold's. This is, he's been in a few American movies before. Uh, you you know a lot more about Arnold than me, and I encourage <laughs> you to jump in with with it. Both of you do. He's holding up a book of Total Recall, which I believe is Schwarzenegger's autobiography. It is very thick. <laughs> Uh, but it's also like in the middle of a bunch of low fantasy um, sword and sandals movies to this. And uh, I guess I guess Excalibur and, and things like that are, are high fantasy. Uh, but there's there's a there's a period of a few years where there are a lot of movies similar to Conan. When does Beastmaster come out? <laughs> that whole that whole era. Uh, this is also a, a John Malius film, which even though I just looked up how to pronounce it, I'm still not sure that I'm saying that right, uh, who brought us such things as Dirty Harry and Red Dawn. And uh, there may or may not be parallels between this and Red Dawn. Well, we'll find out as the podcast goes on. What's most interesting to you that you're that you're bringing this here, other than your personal connection? Um, you you mean as a, as a, as a filmmaker, like from from like someone who who appreciates cinema, like what what is the most interesting part of Conan? Is yeah. it is it separate? I'm 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 curious there. Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, for for me, it isn't very separate because for me, you know, as a kid watching Arnold as Conan was the ultimate experience in the <laughs> basics of cinema of suspension of disbelief. You know, like I actually believed it. Like he looks the character, he is the character and he, he brings on like this way of performing that is like my body, my physicality is my performance. Of course he's acting and doing all these other things, but I, like he's his mere presence. Right. And like, to me, that is like, 
incredible. And there's very few people who can accomplish that, who can literally just stand there He's, in, in, he put in, in costume. Work. Yeah. To be exactly. able to bring that that body to set, and that's what got him hired. And it's interesting, like just as a quick aside, like watching him between Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer. Uh, Sage had mentioned specifically while we're watching it that, like in the first movie, he says like five lines, and he his English is not good. <laughs> By the yeah. second movie, they're giving him dialogue. He sounds like the Arnold we know. He's still doing oh, but <laughs> but uh, you yeah, know. It was, it- it was kind of weird because 1982 to 1984, I can barely understand Arnold in 1982. In 1984, he really does sound the same as he does in, like, Jingle All the Way <laughs> 14 years later. Like, and I mean, there's very little, like, dialectic evolution. I remember hearing him talk, like, because I've, I've watched, like, Pumping Iron and read some other stuff about him. And, like, I know he worked really hard to develop English ver- as fast as he could because he was seizing opportunity wherever he could. He's a very kind of... I don't know if Machiavellian is the right word, but like he's a he's a driven mm-hmm. dude. Um, Pumping Iron, if anyone hasn't seen it, is a is is worth the watch. Oh yeah, I mean, he absolutely. Really, he really worked on those bootstraps. Oh yeah, he he's like a hugely driven person who had like these very clear goals for himself, and you know he talks about that in his autobiography about how he set he set these like milestones that he wanted to reach, and you know he was working on Conan for five years before the release. Like he, he locked it in early and like developed that character and trained like extensively. Cause he knew all these gaps. Right. And like, hmm. you know, even his body, you know, like what's, what's amazing to me is like this, this, this person, this, this Arnold, right? Like he comes to the U S and he taps into like the budding, you know, trend of bodybuilding and becomes like, you know, six, seven time Mr. Olympia or something crazy like that. And then he transitions into a whole new industry. Like that's pretty amazing. But I didn't know any of that when I was watching him, I was just like, this is incredible. <laughs> like this dude is like Conan, like, and I believe the, 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 the universe of the film, you know, I, I engage with it because it, it feels so authentic in a way, you know, like, it feels like the values and the characters are real. Like it doesn't feel like like it's like in on its own joke kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And I think that got lost with the other films. There's a sincerity sincerity to it for sure. To me, like I I sometimes struggle with that. Um, it's interesting, like watching you a movie take do. itself seriously, and sometimes it works for me, and sometimes it doesn't. And this one kind of rode the edge for me. It was kind of I, I didn't know if I was on the movie side or not for. a good portion of it i feel like whereas the second one where it does seem much more in on its joke but it's still it's not making fun of itself which is something that the series is very careful not to do like you know when you've got uh tulsa tulsa doom is that correct turning into a snake tulsa doom (laughs) like you know that's not a joke that is he's a cult leader who can turn into a snake oh we we I don't even know how to attempt to summarize this first movie, but does any before we go well, too much further? We probably should for any guests and hosts who are lost at this point. That, yeah, freezing my hand. Um, <laughs> at this point, uh, we try to give a short summary of the events of the film. Uh, and while we'll intermittently be talking about both movies, we are looking at Conan the Barbarian as like an isolated piece of art for the most part. And... I do not have this one locked out because I just remember individual sequences from a film I watched a week ago and I don't really remember the connective tissue, 
which is probably a failing on my part because it's like a relatively straightforward plot. It's mostly people riding horses, I think, is the connection. Well, you got anything? I, oh, yeah, I got Service? it. Well, you know, it's the classic uh, hero's journey, right? Like uh, Conan is part of a tribe that's massacred by this kind of like, you know, nihilistic death cult uh, of uh, Tulsa Doom, who's like this priest slash sorcerer slash, you know, um, con man. And uh, and he's runs around with uh, his uh, soldiers all dressed in black. And he, I guess I guess he's supposed to be like a, some sort of a strange uh, hybrid race. You know, he he has uh, African-American features. He's got blue eyes, long hair. Um, and he can hypnotize you with his eyes. So the very first thing that happens in the movie is that he rolls into uh, Conan's village and just like slaughters everybody and then enslaves the kids and uh, and ships them off to like push this like, uh, you know, this this mill, mm-hmm. this gigantic mill called the Wheel of Pain. And like, that's where we see Conan grow up. We just, you know, cut through different um, moments in time and we see like little kids growing up but every time less and less kids and then suddenly the only dude who's left pushing this giant wheel is like Conan who just got like the best somehow he got the best workout and he got enough nutrition to build like <laughs> muscles the, the nutrition would be the, the tricky part because we understand where the workout came from he's just pushing that wheel for however long years that time gap decades is. yeah <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure how old Arnold is how how old Conan is supposed to be in this. Doesn't matter that much. Doesn't matter. The thing is he gets hella fit and then somebody buys him and he uh he becomes a pit fighter. And and so so the whole the whole movie is about really Conan coming to terms with himself and maturing as a as a person and coming into his adulthood, yeah. right? Like cuz your first average coming like, of age story. Yeah. Yeah, he's just like living his life. He becomes a thief, you know goes after women and then he realizes oh shit i have this thing from my past that i have to deal with you know so he goes on a quest to fight this Tulsa doom dude and this cult who's still around and has not aged at all yeah well he's got that snake blood too yes exactly and then um you know he exacts his revenge and gets back his daddy's sword yes and must then find his own path in life Right. But that's another story. Yeah, that that and that's the <laughs> thing. I, I you know, I remember being a little kid and always waiting for that other story. And then like then they came out with Conan a Destroyer and it was in a different register, a different tone. It was more it was more family friendly in a weird way, even though it still had a lot of sex and stuff, but it's just not the same. It doesn't feel the same at all. Um and Conan's world is like a weird mishmash of like all sorts of like ancient cultures you know like or cultures that are like non-westerns like the mongols there's like arabs you know pseudo arabs pseudo mongols pseudo like samurais and it, but it's kind of done with respect which is kind of cool like it doesn't feel exploitative at all to me mm-hmm. i will say more than i expected a movie to come out that came out in 1982 to be for sure it doesn't other um those other cultures as much as i expected there's some some interesting choices with the wizard, uh, but like no references ever made to the fact that Tulsa Doom is black, that I caught, like not even a reference, which is kind of in a, like some restraint on part of the film. I don't know. 
Yeah, I, I guess like the theory behind it, according to John Milius, is that like he just wanted to create the sense of like a world where where races existed, but they were like organized differently and 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 there was a different kind of relationship. And and actually, in the ancient world, I think like like races were seen very differently. Like in you know right, around the had time of Greek and Persia and Egypt, like it was a very different kind of way of interpreting race. Hmm. Yeah, I I always wonder how how race is viewed in a uh, like pre-Sumerian society when you're I don't know you <laughs> I've been to enough places where they've hated the town across the mountain uh, and they have for ten thousand years so I don't know if there's a bigger difference between that town and another continent that you've heard of and have made up stories about because you've definitely made up stories about the next town I went uh, hiking in the Republic of Georgia. And uh, they've got all these signs taking you through different villages. And all of these villages uh, in this region, each house has a little stone tower that they can go up and shoot arrows in case their neighbors attack. And I don't think their neighbors have attacked in a very long time, but they've still maintained these towers. Uh, they may not still have, like, boiling oil at the top. Uh, but I stopped in, in one to just stay the night and... Uh, well, I was going to the next town. That's right. And uh, the the people of that little makeshift pub told me, oh, you don't want to stay there. They're cannibals. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure they were joking. No one ate me at the next town. But uh, I don't know. That'll stick with me till the day I die. Yeah, there's something about that. Like uh, in ancient Greece, for instance, like, you know, you could be a slave and it, your your race wasn't what determined your slave status. It was more your your origin. It was more mm -hmm. caste based, you know. So I think the film does a good job with that. It, it creates this universe where like all these cultures are in flux, you know. Um, and then in, in The Destroyer, it's even clearer because Grace Jones and Will Chamberlain like are are uh, are both in the film. And so it just it, it just feels like like everybody's in the mix, you know. Granted that uh, that movie also saddles the film with a sort of uh, Rob Schneider esque sidekick who's uh, making some jokes that don't land. Feels very studio note. I think the sequel is uh, is a studio recipe. They didn't trust the original, you know. I, and I and I and I and I read somewhere that they wanted to make it make more money by making it more kid friendly, you mm. know. So. Okay. Tale as old as time. I, I'm curious just to bring it back for a moment to you mentioned that Schwarzenegger was working on Conan the Barbarian for five years. Yeah, what? <laughs> so oh, yeah. I, I know him as someone who does have a lot of input on his movies later. Like you were holding the Total Recall is the name of his biography. I know he had a lot to do with the kind of adapting of that script. And like the style is very pure Arnold at the top of his action movie game. But he was he 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 didn't already have that pull around this time, did he? He didn't have the pull, but I think like like it was just uh, he was really involved in the development of the concept from early on with like hmm. uh, one of the producers of the film, uh, who then sold it to Dino De Laurentiis, and uh, and so he had a contract before the film was sold to Dino um, that that kept him as Conan. Um, and he he really understood that he needed something to help him make the transition and. And like in a way, this film is incredibly unique because there there weren't really action films uh, before the '80s, right? Like, and he saw like a place to step in where he could bring his physicality 
Um, but then he also had to demonstrate that he could act, right? And so it's it's really interesting how committed he was to it. And and in the meantime, he kept like racking up like Mr. Olympia right. uh, victories. And I guess he like like six seven months before he 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 actually went to start shooting Conan, he won. He came back from retirement and won again. You know, I guess in bodybuilding you retire really early, and um, he won again. And he 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 was like so you know massive that John Milius told him that he had to tone it down and like, gain some weight <laughs> and stuff because he didn't look like a real person. Yeah, which is crazy. Like I wish they would say that to some of the action stars today. It's like tone it down a little bit. Like look like a real person. I remember again watching you know? this with Sage. Sage was complaining about uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's bodysuit and. Uh... <laughs> You know, in jest, <laughs> but th- there are some things where like his real body looks as fake as some of the prosthetics and like created characters in these films. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's incredible. I mean, the the size of his packs, for instance, is like it's yeah. unbelievable. There's it's like a what why situation for me. <laughs> I love he's fighting. I think it's in the second movie. He's fighting the mirror wizard monster and uh He's just be like they're they're doing like some really basic wrestling fighting styles, but he's like held in certain ways where he just gets to fully flex his arms and like you he gets like kind of held in 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 um fitness poses basically, and you're just like wow that's that's a lot of muscle. Damn, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> he do, he does some posing. He does a few dabs in these films. <laughs> uh, you caught with like the sword out to the side. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a full on bodybuilding deb those are like you know it's the back of the vhs cover where he's like the the window is slightly enclosed on him and he's kind of jutting out of the frame uh holding the sword in different directions like that that's it's for the vhs cover i'm sure uh rodrigo does does the vhs cover have like a woman like holding on to his leg or maybe two i mean i'm looking no, at the movie poster right now that's which from is the that. original poster <laughs> oh, okay yeah that's the original yeah. poster but no the cover just has like a close-up of arnold kind of like holding a sword like a almost like in a baseball bat pose but but you know i think if we take it back to to the time like bodybuilding was just about to blow up you mm-hmm. know like i i think the fitness craze he he kind of saw it coming and got on the on the on the crest of it right and like now it's like fitness and we we kind of expect all our all our actors who are doing action films to be incredibly fit and he kind of he kind of set the pace for that I guess it wasn't like that in the in the seventies. I mean, like right after this, you get you know Stallone being the other one who just yep. got you know four times bigger between Rocky one and Rocky four. You add a you add a round yeah, over exactly. Rocky. Um, I mean, look at look at a uh, look at Bogart for instance. Like movies where Bogart like punches someone out. You know, like they're not they're not actually believable from our standpoint today. You know, and then like. I think there's a clear line from Conan to films like Born, you know, or the new uh, Tom Clancy movie that uh, that Michael B. Jordan did, which I didn't see. But is he like Creed ripped in it, or he's Creed ripped? I haven't <laughs> right. seen it. I've only seen the trailer, but he he looks pretty ripped. I'm curious. You know, too. it's interesting. All, all the all the all the military guys that I know and are friends with, like they are they are larger than me because they live a different lifestyle. But none of the I know seals that they're not like action movie stars. It doesn't actually benefit you to have that much muscle. It, 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 <laughs> Anything it, it, it would restrict a, your mobility. Yeah, I know, and it's a toil on your body. I mean, Arnold had a had a heart procedure uh, in his fifties, I think. Like, 
it's a toil for sure i mean it's a huge sacrifice and all the freaking injuries they get you know and like you said you'd look at a seal and like they're lean you know they're like they're lean and mean you'd have to go through so much more muscle to get to the heart <laughs> i was thinking the logistics of that surgery i'm curious too so do you remember just looking at this movie poster and i'm trying to like you know, I know Dino De Laurentiis from Army of Darkness, which has definitely borrows from this poster. Uh, and this poster, like what, the earliest idea I can think of to it is like the Star Wars movies. Um, and this is very much in a post-Star Wars era because that was 77, I believe. Mm -hmm. Did you watch those growing up too? And like, what was your fantasy before this? Did you dive into low fantasy first at six or were your parents showing you Star Wars? No, I I was watching Disney movies and and classic Mexican movies from the golden age from the 40s and 50s. That's what I was watching and then suddenly like the action movies started coming in like um I think Conan is for sure the highlight but like things like Die Hard, Terminator, sure, sure. And Star Wars also, but not as much. I think I watched Star Wars when I was a little older like 8 years old or something like that. And I watched the originals like uh the pre, you know, the the pre uh, manipulated versions, you know, yeah. where where uh, Han Solo still shoots first and all that. I watched that on VHS, but it it wasn't the same. It didn't hook me the same way. Like I think I think Conan really got got me pretty pretty deep. And I, I remember like the whole run, you know, Conan, uh, the Destroyer, Red Sonia, and then you go to Predator, Terminator, <laughs> and then it, you know, like there's the spinoffs, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's an arc in Arnold's career where that kind of like climaxes at Kindergarten Cop, you know, like like that that whole ten, the ten years, right, from Conan to Kindergarten Cop. Speaking of Mexican cinema, did you? Because uh, like the the pulp heroes there that I know of were like I've seen a few El Santo movies and like some Blue Demon stuff, and I I was introduced to it in a really fun way. I was going to like punk shows in the Bay Area. And I remember going to a show where they just would play El Santo movies in the background while the bands played. And I was just taken because it was they just drop El Santo into various different types of stories that were all very pulpy. And the one that really stuck with me was like it's him in a Western town uh, in a bar fight throwing cowboys out of a window. And the, the, the saloon is on a cliff. So you get to watch them fly out the window over the cliffside. Uh, and. I, I've just been, I, I really enjoy the aesthetics of it. Uh, did you have that stuff to kind of, was that around the same time or earlier than Conan for you? You know, that's a good point. And I was almost remiss in not mentioning El Santo. Like my dad's a huge fan of El Santo. And I grew up like watching all these like, uh, you know, like lo-fi luchador movies, you know, where Santo wrestles mummies and Santo yeah. wrestles vampires and the stuff. The vampire women. <laughs> yeah. I grew up with that, and and I was still a huge fan of Lucha Libre. Like, my whole life mm -hmm. I was a fan, and I, I, I remember, like, you know, going to wrestling matches whenever I could, deep into, like, college, you know. I, w I went to college in San Diego, and I would go into Tijuana, and I would go watch wrestling there on Friday nights. Um, so it's, it's, it's I think maybe there's a subtext to that, you know, because there's a clear connection between, uh, like, the Conan character and wrestlers, right? Like, they're almost like part of Very the same much universe. So. Yeah, and there's something to like the this era, like, you know, if you, you're looking at the the way that action sequences happened, like you were saying, it kind of changed in the eighties. 
the 60s and 50s was more like the Star Trek James Bond style of like you hold a punch back for a while and then throw it. Like everything is very telegraphed, which goes back to wrestling because it is very much about the presentation. And continues through Harrison Ford's entire career. <laughs> Which also, shout out to Hood Slam if you're ever in the Bay Area and want to see some uh, some wrestling. It's a very, very good time. We did oh, it. We got a Hood, Hood Slam, Slam reference in. <laughs> My sister goes to Hood Slam. It's a very good time. <laughs> yeah. So I think you got to approach Conan the way you approach a, a El Santo movie in a way. You got to believe it. You got to be a fan and really kind of, kind of, kind of, give it the permission to, to be to feel real and like i think that's that's the same way with wrestling it's like for people to get excited they they kind of have to drop their guard a little bit There's like a, and I, and i feel like people do it they enjoy doing that they yeah. enjoy saying i'm going to drop my guard here no there's there's a there's a wrestling chant that is just this is real over and over again whenever something crazy happens because it's just exciting to buy into something as a group that's it was a little hard, I'll admit, watching this movie on a couch, but I can imagine seeing it in a theater being a very fun experience if you're with the right crowd, too. Yeah, like, this is the kind of thing I wouldn't mind being taken away by. There's some good landscape shots. There's some great sets in both of these movies, um, which, I mean, they're not going to look any less fake on, on a big screen, but, like, you will be in it. You'll be hanging out on those stages with those characters, and there's a lot of cool designs I like. And in um, 1982, I'm sure it felt more real. Yeah, no, I, you know, I think like the production value for the first film really does feel like an epic. You know, like mm -hmm. like they shot it in Spain. Actually, they were going to shoot it in Yugoslavia, and then like I guess uh, Marshal Tito died. And they were like, oh, not yeah, a good time. Yeah, 1982, not a great time to make a movie in Yugoslavia. <laughs> yeah, so they were like, let's move to Spain. And so they <laughs> used, like, you know, out the outskirts of Madrid and, like, other 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 regions of Spain. And, like, they took over, like, all these warehouses to build the giant sets and stuff uh, outside of Madrid, which I, which I think is fascinating, you know? Like, they, they had to pivot the production to, to be there. Which, which I think is really interesting because this is a setting for a lot of westerns too, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, especially like the dunes and stuff. That's all like in the in the in the Almeria desert where they where they shot the spaghetti western. Yeah, I think you see even more. I was noticed that in Destroyer, just like I've seen, I have I have seen where they're filming this in other movies. I didn't put together that it was actually just westerns, although it's the horses on dunes going into mountains. So I probably should have. Uh, I wonder if that pivot in location and i guess a lengthy development this movie cost 20 million dollars which seems like a lot more than that it should have in 1982 i think it comes down to the technology of film and just the scope of the of the footprint you know like everything from having a producer like dino de laurentis and uh and universal on board just ups the the price but i i know like training wise like you know they they spent a ton of money like training all the actors in sword fighting and and the actual um you know uh the swords themselves you know that they had to craft and everything like all the different iterations of that i mean there's a lot of like i guess technical stuff that went into making the film and and the guy who designed the the sets is the same guy who did um the the alien design so like everything i think was like oh geiger know, yeah, no, not Geiger, but the the actual uh, production designer. Like, 
production designer. His name is Cobb, I think. Okay. Yeah. So like I think I think there was a very robust budget because people saw like you know a huge opportunity with this film. And it did pay off. I mean, it spawned a sequel, did well. Uh Was it do you remember I'm trying to was it a critical success? Did we mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll we'll get to, I mean it, it it is it is. It was it was commercially and critically successful enough to to get one sequel. Um <laughs> probably might have gotten more if Arnold's career hadn't taken off even bigger from other franchises. It's so if you're if you're Arnold in 1980 and you land Conan, you get to do that. You probably think that that is going to be your defining franchise and legacy. And I don't I don't know if Conan makes it into the top 5 Arnold franchises. Oh, I would absolutely put it in the top 5. I know this. you would. That's why you're here. <laughs> Oh, his franchise. No, I mean he recognizes that himself. He's like, this is my huge. This is my bit. My break. This is my my huge break. You know. I mean, and, and the the thing that he also mentions in his autobiography is that studios didn't think that um, bodybuilding folks were going to come to this movie. They didn't even account my for that. My God. And so, so there was like this huge synergy between comic book fans and bodybuilders, and and they tell the story of like this uh, a screening in Vegas where people were like lined up you know, for blocks, including bikers and all sorts of folks who, who don't usually go to blockbusters. And like they had to scramble to find three more theaters in, in the city and they were shuttling the print on a bicycle, you know, because the, the demand was so huge. So, you know, it kind of set them up, I think, um, for, for all the other stuff that came later, you know. It is really fun to try and picture just a movie theater filled with like bodybuilder next to like comic book nerd like over and over again like staggered so it's, <laughs> it's a fun mental image that's all <laughs> absolutely that is pretty good they they purposely stagger them for the photo op mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh, so if the swords cost so much why does everyone in this movie just leave their sword on the ground when they're going to the next scene yes there are some some things where i was like that doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> and even the design of the swords, you know, like uh, the, I, I kept watching for the for the hand guards mm-hmm. because apparently the actress got her finger um, like cut like severely. And, and I noticed that, for instance, her sword didn't have like a proper you oh. know, hand guard. Yeah. Um, so there, there are some things that, that are not, you know, very realistic for combat, you know. Do you do you do any of you have a favorite action sequence in this? Oh, the orgy scene, dude! The orgy scene is great. <laughs> the different kind of action. The yeah. orgy slash massacre. <laughs> Should we open the episode with that quote? <laughs> <laughs> we won't. We might. <laughs> the score in this movie does some drastic total shifts, and that's one of them. Where like they approach this this glorious orgy in this marble like palace basically and suddenly it's a comedy where they're just looking in and everyone's horny and uh it just i wish i could remember the actual turning into a snake for like a good five minutes maybe (laughs) but it goes from that like dramatic operatic score to like what would be in a studio comedy at the time and you can hear that theme later in destroyer too enough that it uh it stuck out to me just drastic total shifts they're going to to kill the bad guy who stole his family's sword and killed his mom uh but uh but first let's pause for this orgy (laughs) 
This orgy and this vat of human soup. You're out, oh man, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah the vat of right. human soup. I like the, the woman who's delivering it just kind of pulls a hand out as she's leaving and just starts mm -hmm. gnawing on it, walking away. <laughs> it's yeah, a, it's, a, it's a death cult that is uh, trafficking in human body parts and orgies. Uh, my favorite uh, action beat is when Conan stumbles out of the deserts and uh, finds refuge in a witch's hut and the witch has sex with him but then turns into a cat halfway through so Conan has to toss her into the fire. It's a fun moment. That's something I remember from when I was 11. <laughs> That's the, I thought it was a different movie, but nope. Uh, there's a lot of... There's a lot of little beats like that. Yeah. Uh, I love the, the storming of the temple, or I guess that, not a storming, where they're sneaking in to, yeah. uh, to steal back. See, I don't even remember what they're stealing. I don't remember if that was Some like jewel, them going probably. to get a jewel, yeah, yeah. and then they just discover that it's the same cult. I think so. Yeah, and then yeah. he has to kill a snake, and they have to, like, they, they get in this big fight around a well, and you get that swashbuckling moment where, like, mm -hmm. um, I think, like, the woman... Valeria or whatever her name is like kicks a dude into a bucket and then rides his weight up to escape. Very classic like Scarlet Pimpernel vibes. Yeah, no, that seemed like something Errol Morris would do. <laughs> <laughs> Which like because a lot of this style of fighting is again like you know it's it's just muscle bound and it's clanging swords together, big and heavy. Even yeah. though they're thieves and they're supposed to be sneaky, it's a very unsneaky style of like again this is like the feels more sixties like. You know, you got, uh, what's his name? Uh, Captain Kirk, you know, punching each other in the face for a while. Kind of, kind of pattern of fighting. That's so how you stole things <laughs> in the Hyborian age. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's fun to get a little speed to it. <laughs> absolutely. There's things that are like funny that, uh, that I think like the movie in rewatching it, it just rides the line a little bit mm -hmm. uh, and it, it falls on the right side of the line for me. But I think like by the time you get to like a movie like Red Sonja, it just it, it, it it's it's more laughs, you know, that, than than you'd hope for or that I would hope for, I guess, as a fan. Um, more but, like but, written intended laughs or. Yeah, it just seemed like they were like, oh, let's like 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 soften this thing, okay. you know. And and what I love about Conan the original is like just the violence is just brutal. This is a brutal, brutal world that people are in, and like people can get exterminated. You know, if you're gonna kill somebody, you gotta hack them to death. It's pretty intense. The um the the burly brawl style of fighting in these movies, I, I it it works one on one. You know, just like slow sword clashing. Anytime where it's Arnold and a sub boss, or like in the second movie. Um, sorry that I keep reference to the second movie. It's just the one that we watched last <laughs> night, so it's fresher in, in my memory. Where he's fighting uh, Will Chamberlain at the end, and it's just slow sword and, and mace clashes. And of course it is, because Will Chamberlain's seven feet tall or whatever, and Arnold's 300 pounds of muscle, and they can't move that fast. Uh, it doesn't work so well when it's one person fighting like 20 people and 19 of them just have to stand around and wait their turn uh which is something that i always get angry about in older movies and i really get angry when it happens in like modern movies 
<laughs> but even the one person who runs in, I feel like, has enough time to stab Conan in the leg or something if they were if they had ever been in a fight in their life or had any sort of training. Right, and and you know, you could even say like, why does why 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 don't why do they follow these tactics? Why do they do melee instead of like yeah. strategic, you know, guerrilla strikes? You know, and I, I know I should turn off my brain for that but like i don't think the movie has made me turn off my brain enough yeah i I think that's hard though because i think i think uh like we're also kind of like living in the legacy of this movie and and its Mm -hmm. whole kind of decade you know it's hard to turn off our brain but that's why why i love it because i've still managed to turn off my brain when i watch it you know like I, i i i don't feel disappointed or let down or I don't question why I love this movie, you know, but, but, but I think like, like there's so much of, of, of that that has to happen, you know, like it, it's actually a very complex thing that movies ask us to do. It's like, believe, you know, like, uh, but, but that kind of sticks with us, you know, like if, if you're like a Star Wars fan from like the old, olden times, like some of that stuff is not very believable, but but people get so into it, right? Like they they really give themselves to the universe. I, and I was I was going to mention something though. Actually, you guys were talking about this franchise of Conan, um, and and the plan was so so Oliver Stone did the first draft of the script for this mm-hmm. film, and then John Milius wow. like reworked it. And That's, Oliver Stone's plan was they that have the, different ideologies. But... Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and so, like, apparently, it was gonna, you know, the hope was that it would be like James Bond, you know, like, like having like multiple, multiple chapters of this Conan saga coming back, you know. And even for Milius, there was like a there was a trilogy that he had in mind, you know, like following Conan deep into his old age, kind of like Beowulf. Which yeah. which will get get us to the end of the, you know, like what what happens next to this thing. It definitely feels. I mean, of course, as I said, but that's a different story. And yeah. the as, books, as both fucking yeah. movies end. Well, I mean, and it feels to me like again, like my main association with this and the James Bond movies, honestly, because I didn't really watch those growing up either, is like seeing them both on my bookshelf, and they're the same size. Like they're printed on the same paper. They feel very similar. Hmm. So it's drawing from very similar bones. I would say. So one really interesting thing about uh, Conan the Barbarian, the movie, is that there's not much dialogue. There's some logistical reasons for that. You know, they have Arnold as their lead. And uh, in 1982, the less you can have Arnold say, maybe the better. Depends how you ask. Some some people, bad acts in Arnold works better than others. I am not one of them. Every time Arnold just screams in this movie, uh, I, I get visibly annoyed <laughs> um, something that's plagued me through most of his career. I feel like you could ADR in something else or just not have him scream all the time. <laughs> Forgot that's how you what get I butts and chairs, about. you know? I personally kind of wish there was a little bit more dialogue because this movie does hint at some pretty interesting philosophical themes. Not that complicated, but they're there. My favorite scene in the movie by far is basically a James Earl Jones monologue towards the end i don't think he's said anything in this movie yet he's shown up killed conan's mom and then just shown up and then vaguely menacing in the background and uh, he hasn't turned into a snake yet but uh they capture conan and he says you killed my mother you killed my father you stole my sword whatever he says whatever he screams 
unintelligibly. And James Earl Jones takes the time to say, I was a younger man then. Uh, I barely remember. He asks him the riddle of the steel, if he's familiar. Rodrigo, are you familiar with the riddle of the steel? Well, you know, the, 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 the thing the thing that I think that John Milius understands really well is like kind of like the complexities of being like uh, in war, right? So like here's okay. Conan early on meeting his nemesis, right? And he says, you did all these things to me. And in a way, like the, the story says, so what? Like we've done horrible yeah. things to many, 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 many people. Why should your story matter, right? And then James Earl Jones explains, you know, like, you know, I was hunting for steel, but I realized that human flesh and the will of, of a human being to to die for me is way more powerful or more compelling. And it, it's it's a scary kind of thought because it's a very fascist kind of like philosophy oh, yeah. of like, I could just use human beings, right? Like, like for whatever I want, I could grind them into dust. And then he asked this like beautiful young woman to like jump off this cliff and die for him. <laughs> You know, and she does it in a heartbeat. And so Conan... Without a thought. Yeah, exactly. And Conan isn't really understanding that. Like, that's the whole thing. Like He, he doesn't even to... ask her to die. He just says, come here. Yeah. And she just, the fastest way to do that is off of the cliff. Yeah, it's pretty terrifying. And and, and the, the ideas behind the film are, are pretty kind of, kind of intense in that sense. Because Conan is like on his own. You know, he has to... He has to... You know, figure it out on his own, and there's no real kind of like redemption in the film or hope or like, you know, even at the end, like he he kills Tulsa Doom, but like are, these ideas are still, you know, like something else could come and sweep in. You feel like, you know, like the, he'll have to fight another day, and and who knows what'll happen. And the reason that that's my favorite scene um, is not just because I like it the most, but the other scenes that I like <laughs> in this movie set templates. Uh, that I think have been improved upon by later movies, either as entire movies or as scenes. We've seen dozens, if not hundreds, of like thieving into a temple. Uh, we've seen, you know, man wrestling, mirror monster, man apes, and uh, snake creatures. Um, okay, not that specific as well. Probably, if you go through. <laughs> all of these especially the ones that are directly ripping off conan i bet someone just put a mere mass mere monster man ape uh and this is also a scene that has been done in other movies um but i don't i don't i can't think of anyone that's just done it noticeably better to the point that like i enjoyed this as it was happening and didn't really make me wish i was watching a different scene <laughs> You're talking about like the like a, the the scene where like the villain reveals their like basic the philosophy of life. Yeah, it's just yeah. like I've been looking for the anti-life equation. <laughs> you girl, jump off this cliff. It's a classic in comic books too. Like, there's always that scene yes. in comics where they do that. Um, you know, I as you say this, for some reason, I, I I forgot to mention another film that I watched, and I know I watched this before Conan. Um, that also was very very influential, but that has not remained like in my heart, you know, so to speak, is uh, Clash of the Titans, mm -hmm. you know, which is... Right, a I can't believe I forgot that one. That's one yeah, I grew like, up on, yeah. It's, it's, that's the watershed because Conan represents the studio's answer to Clash of the Titans, right? Like, Was Clash before? Mm-hmm. I think oh, Clash is, is before and it's like the end of that era of like, 
of that kind of action sword and sandal film, you know? Yeah, no, it's a it's a year before. Huh. Yeah, I'm surprised that was so late. Um because I, I associate the special effects feel so different in that movie. Which granted, like, you know, I was talking I keep joking with Sage about Hawk the Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> mostly mostly because of the soundtrack. Uh but like those the effects in those movies and like, you know, I, I again didn't watch a lot of the eighties stuff, but like the um uh what's his name? The special effects guy who did like, Harry Jason the Argonauts. Yeah, Harryhausen. Like mm-hmm. His stuff always stuck with me, mostly because, like, you get to see, like, the painterly strokes that he's putting into, like, these amazing creatures that look like nothing that we're ever going to have again because it's just not a practical way to be doing this. It's not cost effective. Audiences aren't going to respond to it the way that they're going to respond to CGI. Um, and I know, like, also around this era, like, the things happening. So you've got, um, I forget his name. Yeah. Uh, the special effects Our, guy on that bottom. Yeah. Bottom. Something. So this is like a very interesting era for like, especially like in, in, um, in this, in the destroyer, you've got like that weird sleeping God that wakes up and the like, sleeping God who wakes up with a horn and has got yeah. some interesting design. Uh, but when I'm watching both of these movies that I'm looking at the creature effects, my first thought is like, Oh, I bet this is great for 1982. And then my second effect is like, that's the, that's the year the thing came out. <laughs> right. But then you've got like, uh, you know, Jason the Argonauts, Clash of the Titans, Harry House and stuff, which feels way more dated. But like that stuff lives in my mind. I got to go see like a trilogy of those at the at the Castro, and just seeing those things come to life on the big screen is absolutely amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they were works of uh, incredible craftsmanship. Yeah. You know? And I, I remember watching Clash of the Titans and you know being so shocked and frightened by by the medusa scene especially mm-hmm. more yeah. so than the kraken scene and it's just it's an, mm-hmm. but but that's the thing it's like there the, the the reason why we love this stuff that that has maybe technical flaws is is like th- that we we fill that gap you know we take charge of filling that gap and really appreciating it you know even though it's got all these little quirks right I mean, that said, the the sequence where they're kind of fighting the wraiths off of Conan as they're trying, as the wizards trying to bring him back to life in the first one, it's not super memorable. It just kind of stands out because oh, yeah. the effects are better than you expect them to be, and they're very dated. But like, I don't know that that worked for me uh, more than like some of the other like early CGI or I guess just special effects. I don't know if there's any actual CGI in this movie, but it's probably too early for that. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, that was all painted in. That was all yeah. painted over the frame, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really liked that that Wraith effect. Um, probably more than a lot of the prosthetics in this movie. Yeah, I love I love the, the armor design and the, the you know, like all the weapon design it was pretty crazy. Like there were things that you're like, Whoa, did this really exist or what? you know? And like some of the weapons are like clearly designed to be held by like incredibly buff people. You know, <laughs> yeah, they're not right. practical, like some of the axes. Or the the hammer the guy uses, it's like it's like that thing is like one swing and if you miss <laughs> you Right. You know, it's not practical, but it, it works really well, you know, it like it's all very like tied in together, you know. Plus you can only lift it if you are found worthy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's it's that part of the podcast where we uh pass our judgments. Um, Gavin, do we have any sort of criteria 
do we have any sort of rating system to determine if something is still good? You know, Sage, I believe we do. I think it's a it's a three tier system. Is it still good? Is it better as a memory? Or um is it something we should bury deep in the earth and, and just leave leave there sitting with Crom until someone decides to fall into a cave and pull a sword from its tight dead hands? Yeah. So is it still good, better as a memory, or should we never speak of this again? Uh, who goes first? Is anyone Whoever's dying to speak? Ambitious um, enough. I, I I'm gonna I, I I teeter back and forth with this one. Having I think I'm the only one of us three who did not see this growing up. I may have seen Conan the Destroyer as a kid at some point, but like again, I read one of the books and I was like, that was enough. I don't need to re-enter this universe again. And so like, I, I, I was teetering between Never Speak Of Again and Better as a Memory. I do think there's enough here that like I'm going to give it the Better as a Memory. Uh, and of course, like as a foundational work for Arnold's wonderful film career that I very much greatly enjoy. Um, it's not top tier for him, in my opinion, but like I, I understand its place. And... Yeah, again, like I, I wound up kind of liking the Destroyer more. I, it, it just is a little faster. There's, there's a, a little, little bit of a, a lot of the first one drags for me, but I'm gonna give it a better as a memory, even though I've never seen it before. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm with you on this. Um, I think out of all the episodes we've done on this show, uh, this might be the most straightforward, better as a memory. <laughs> Because it is, it is objectively, I liked it more the first time I saw it um, when I had a less critical eye. There's great sequences. There are things I like in this movie, but like the connective tissue is not there to the point that I wasn't able to summarize what happened in this movie. <laughs> I just remember sequences, and this is now not a movie I saw 20 years ago. This is a movie I saw last week. I also enjoyed Destroyer more. I don't think it's a better movie, and critics would <laughs> definitely agree with that because that movie is talked about very poorly. Uh, but, you know, if both of the movies are kind of just a bunch of stuff that happens in, in Conan's life, um, then Destroyer is the one with uh, that that is having more fun, and I'm able to laugh at. I, th I do feel like I'm laughing at the Destroyer, but in a way that's enjoyable to me. <laughs> So yeah, better, better as a memory. I think the Destroyer and Conan or the Barbarian are just two very different beasts. You know, uh, I think there's there's philosophy and ideas in Conan the Barbarian that are grappled with. Mm -hmm. You know, like starting with the, a quote from Nietzsche and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I think the Destroyer is just you know it's it's a studio film that has been watered down. It's still fun, but I remember watching it. Uh, few years ago and it just it just wasn't engaging but there's something about like the just the grittiness of the first one that i think is still good and uh i think i think there's stuff you also to 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 look at in terms of like where where action movies are going today right and like like th this drive for like kind of grit and like you know presence that everybody I, I bet you every 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 actor that's you know, going out there to showcase their physique is, uh, is, um, you know, constantly going back to thinking about how Arnold cracked that, you know? 
So on the scale, Rodrigo. Oh, absolutely, still good. Still good. Absolutely. Still good. Yeah. Okay. I, I do. I do think I'm completely tainted and biased, and you know. That's okay. We're not. We're not here to. We're not here to pull that away from you. <laughs> yeah, Ed. Most of us are. <laughs> I feel it's only like a quarter of the time that my opinion shifts between reviewing something and thinking about it a lot. Uh, the example I always use is uh, Mortal Kombat, a movie that I grew up with, and we covered, and we all decided, oh, it's not actually very good. And a week later, after recording that, I had forgotten about it, and I caught myself talking about Mortal Kombat as if it was a great movie. <laughs> I think I think there's also a generational shift, too. I think there's you couldn't do a movie like this anymore, just like you can't do so many of the 80s action films anymore. You, well, can't, I mean, did you, you can't do them. Did you see the, the Conan remake with Jason Momoa? No. <laughs> I didn't even see it. Right. Not interested. Yeah. I don't... I don't have strong memories of it. I remember it being like the new Clash of the Titans, which is like, it's fine. It does some things better because like Jason Momoa is a ton of fun to watch in a way that I just I didn't find Arnold that fun to watch in 82. Um, I do later in his career. Obviously, I'm not a monster. Uh, but, you know, they they remade it and uh, they keep trying to remake it there's a weird thing in uh schwarzenegger's career posts his uh i guess he was governor or something <laughs> i went through his imdb and my stupid brain just couldn't figure out why there was like an eight-year gap in his movies because i was living <laughs> in california at that time i'm like oh right that's a that's a crazy thing that happened but as he went back into movies, everyone immediately tried to get him into, like, sequels to his movies. And obviously he did two Terminator movies. And I, was, I, I don't remember if, if there were other movies that he ended up doing sequels to. Uh, but he I know... He was almost like, in Predator. Yeah, like, eight of them were thrown around. And I'm surprised he didn't actually cameo in all the, the remakes that did come out. Um but one of them is a, a old man Conan, um, which was they tried to get made in 2012 on and I think is now just dead, uh, dead in the water. But it would be after, you know, 30 years after the actual movies in universe. So I assume he's finally king. <laughs> and this is the part of the show, everyone's favorite part, my favorite part, where we reboot the property. There is money on the table, folks. Uh, regardless of what Rodrigo just said about how you couldn't make Conan today, there is a way to profit off of this, and it is our fiduciary responsibility to do that. Uh, so we're going to do that now in the reboot section. Cue that bumper. We're reviving a canceled undercover police program from the 80s. Oh, it's not a remake, it's a reboot. You see, the guys in charge of this stuff lack creativity. What the fuck is a reboot? So all they do now is recycle shit from the past. We're working on less of a shriekle and, and more of a screamake. Expect us all not to notice. I like it. Another! Well, I, I guess that that idea of old man conan has always uh seduced hardcore fans of the movie you know that shot at the end where he's old i mean and 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 i think in theory it's perfectly doable i don't know what all the you know issues are on the business side but like you know like just like beowulf uh, is divided into two parts you know like him him going on a quest and 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 finding you know like his way into a kingdom and then beowulf ends with you know him sacrificing his life right to kill this dragon 
I, I kind of see the plot going along those lines of like, you know, going out like a warrior, an old warrior, and kind of like a pay into, you know, old, old, uh, oldness, you know, <laughs> old, oldness. You know, it, a movie that is actually, and it's funny because they're always like compared, that is uh, actually a good, I think, um, template for what old, uh, you know, like the last Conan movie could be is uh, Rocky Balboa. Did you guys ever watch that film where mm-hmm. uh, Rocky's really old and the movie really becomes about That's like how hard movie. it is to be old? Yeah. 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 So I would love to see it like a poetic, sad Conan, you know, but like still with some some action and stuff. But but really about like, damn, dude, it sucks to be an old warrior. It's hard, you know. Um, so maybe that's why it hasn't been made, because it's like, how how, how do you get that, you know, to be exciting enough for someone to, you know, cough up 80 million dollars for? Oh, I think it'd be more. And I think that's I mean, same reason. I think that'd be so exciting. But that's also I am such a sucker for old man burdened by the weight of his actions uh the pitch that i read for this reboot that we're talking about um throughout the the word unforgiven like eight times Um, (laughs) there's actually i want to shout out like adventure time also has a very good old hero (laughs) arc uh in in the billy who is kind of like you know this older hero who's done it all and now just kind of lives in a cave and like he's just done adventuring, but he doesn't know what's next. It's uh, and he's trying to tell the people, you know, he tries to tell Finn that uh, the violence didn't solve everything that he thought it did. The violence begets violence, um, which of course falls on deaf ears. But <laughs> yeah. it, but it it is a that uh, yeah it it is a it's a it's a very interesting thing to have someone who is you know again. The way that Arnold Schwarzenegger does this role is it's a physicality that he brings to it. And when that starts to evaporate, when that starts to crack, like what's left? Yeah, no, and I think it also mirrors a lot of the struggles that Arnold has gone through in his own life, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, where action action starts have become kind of like phased out of like of what Hollywood's really pumping right now. Uh, but, you know, there's still fans out there. <laughs> I know, I said pump it. Conan, no, I was just thinking about Conan after a couple of heart surgeries. <laughs> well, yeah. shout out to The Last Stand, where uh, speaking mm-hmm. of, of the physicality of, of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger lending itself to a role, uh, that's one where it doesn't. Like he, he completely takes me out of the movie in certain respects, but make, makes me love it, that he's the reason that movie is incredible. It's just so much fun to see Ar- Arnold Schwarzenegger play a small-town sheriff who's <laughs> ripped as shit, has like... Oh, strange Austrian American accent, and we're just uh, used to that. Yeah, <laughs> jiggle all the way, classic American father. Yeah, and the thing is, that movie was made by a fan who also grew up on these '80s movies, right? And he loves—he's a Korean director, right? He did uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Weird, right? And yeah, like, yeah. right, yeah. And like, he's—I mean, that's the thing. It's like Arnold inspired people across the universe, you know. And it started with with Conan. The the other plot I think that is interesting is just like kind of like a King Lear-ish plot for Conan where he has kids and the kids fuck everything up and right. he has to maybe, you know, of course, sacrifice himself to to kind of like restore balance even if it if he has to uh, bring justice down on, on one of his own kids. That would be pretty hardcore, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm super into old Conan, just like a like a slower movie. 
I know that's going to be like a harder movie to get made, but uh, all we have to do is is pitch here. Uh, but that's not actually my pitch. Uh, something we haven't really talked about. We mentioned that uh, Conan is like has been in comics for a long time, and uh, the property has been owned by Dark Horse and currently Marvel. That's right, folks. Conan is part of the Marvel universe. <laughs> In fact, there's an ongoing uh, comic right now called Savage Avengers uh, where, you know, timey-wimey stuff, he's in modern-day Savage Land, which I'm not going to try to over-explain, but we'll say that Savage Land is a habitable section in Antarctica with a lot of dinosaurs. Moving past that, I believe Savage Avengers is him and the Punisher and Wolverine (laughs) And I don't know, I like Shang-Chi. Venom. Venom. Venom? Wait, and you know a, this? A, no, I'm looking at it now, and Electra's okay. <laughs> in there too. That would have blown my mind if you were currently reading Savage Avengers. Uh, and yeah, he uh, is just fighting the hand, which is a bunch of ninjas. So you've got Conan on a team fighting a bunch of ninjas in, in Antarctica. And I'm not necessarily pitching that exact movie, although, yes, I would watch it. That should I would watch that as an animated movie. That would probably be a better use of everyone's resources and time. <laughs> but I don't know. I would be interested in that Marvel style of, of Conan. It's probably not the one with the most authorship. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I probably would understand going into it what the movie is going to be, but statistically, I would probably enjoy it. And judging from the trailer for The Eternals, uh, which Chloe Zhao filmed, um, it, it looks like it's got a different tone. It looks like it might be taking more chances, but I could be completely wrong because Marvel does a great job at pretending every movie is actually different, and then sure. it's less than advertised i'm not up to date with uh, marvel movies i gotta say um I-, I would be really surprised if they really went with something more internal uh with a film like the eternals but it would be great to see uh conan uh it get the you know like the the wolverine a uh, frank miller treatment you know like from those the didn't frank miller do like a he did a pass on on wolverine right like uh when uh. he goes to japan and stuff Maybe the hand was that Frank Miller? I know he did like a lot of Daredevil stuff with the hand. Um, he may have he may have done a run on Wolverine. I know Wolverine does spend time in Japan as a. I thought that was a, Chris Claremont. I don't I don't know who wrote it, but I, I know that that is a yeah. thing that happened. I have not. It's read Chris it. Claremont and Frank Miller. Oh, yeah. Oh, I guess I haven't read it. Yeah, no, it's pretty it's pretty raw, pretty brutal. Uh, Wolverine Conan team up would be great. You know, something really yeah. gritty. Like yeah. I just want to see them like fighting and like, like you know, just like like really like bringing some of the modern technology into like the grittiness of the, of of the fight, you know, without going like full out gore, like like Rambo Last Blood or something <laughs> ridiculous like that. Yeah, I'm less interested in uh, bringing Conan to the modern age because I don't think that's that interesting of a story. I mean, I watched Masters Conan of Conan in first. New York. I saw a lot of now. adaptation. <laughs> nice bring it back to the start of his career. But uh, now if you were going to send another character back in time to the Hyborian age and have him hang out with Conan, that I'm into. Get Conan Wolverine back 8,000 years. What's Conan that? and Cable. Conan and Cable. There you go. They they are kind of spirit animals of each other. <laughs> Conan and Cable. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, pitch. I think I think like you wonder what are some of the you know, and this is like me putting on my like my director's hat, like from the film that we made, for instance, Sage Lupe, right? Like, you know, Lupe in a way is kind of like a old man going out into the darkness uh, movie um, and dealing with like you know the agony of his of his life. Uh, but I wonder what other stories are out there in the Hyborian world that don't get showcased because we're focusing on just like, you know, the hero with the sword. And that could be interesting too, you know, like if, if Conan had to like focus on some more, maybe mundane or like, but, but more intractable issues in his, in his kingdom, you know, like there's like climate Political change drama. or something. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. Figure out which person in his uh, court is uh, planning on backstabbing him. Yes. That's the whole movie. And I'm he, into can't, it. he can't get to battle because he's dealing with like the court all the time, you know? Yeah. Would be or just something to... where he abdicates at the end to just go be a barbarian and die gloriously in battle. It might be fun watching him have to deal with thieves in his kingdom, too. Sure. Like, you know, we see Conan at the other end of, of that spectrum and he stares back into like what used to be him. And trying to figure out what, like, that thief's motivate, Like, what, why are you here? Is it because of my riches? Like, and then, like, just live in self-doubt and uh, crumble under the weight of, like, time. I don't know. It's hard then, for me to figure out what, because I'm still struggling with what makes Conan work. Because, again, like, I, I'm still figuring out if it does to myself a little bit in certain ways. He's kind of a cowboy. He's kind of like yeah. a rugged individualist. You know, like embodying libertarian values. Have well, you guys ever seen this movie, Lonely Are the Brave? I have not. What's it's that? It's a Kirk Douglas movie from the sixties that he he personally really loved, and it's a black and white movie about this cowboy that uh, it, you know, he he keeps running into the law because he cannot cowboy anymore, and the whole movie becomes like this chase between him and his horse, and he's being chased by all these police officers. It's kind of like an early Rambo without the <laughs> the violence. Okay. And, and there, there's something about that where it's like you're anachronistic, you know, like like you're pushing against the grain. And I feel like like that's how Conan would end. He would end as like like you know some new technology comes in and just wipes out his whole world. You know. I do keep picturing him as like a you know someone like throw him into feudal Japan like you were talking about and just like put him up against like an organization that. There's something mm. about these movies where everything feels so insular. All the, the villages feel very spread out. And there's like, you know, he rocks as a trio of three at most, it feels. I know in the second one, he's got like five people with him. But like, but they're not really his people. Right. Two yeah. of them two of them are othered. Um, it's just a wizard and a sidekick, really. Yeah. And so, or like even, you know, I, you know, you jo- I joke about Conan in New York. But like putting him in situation where like all of a sudden you are in a global situation like the you know the internet planes trains automobiles like so you want his how does, man <laughs> how does he function in a world that's connected because part of like this is is like it's about legends traveling more so than people like if they've heard of him at all it's like it, there's nothing to connect him to a face like it's really hard for me to picture him in like a world that has webs that entangle over like any way other than uh wizards looking into a pool and seeing the next town over right like what happens if he were to encounter like like a like a like free trade you know or like or or gunpowder you know like yojimbo like where the the samurai has to face it off against uh guns right 
like that could be really interesting and 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 a really sad way of like sending off like this whole universe right it's like now we will be connected now there's no mystery there's no legend yeah i hadn't yeah that is kind of because it, it it just inherently has to either change him or die and i'm not sure what he has in him for either of those we didn't get to talk as much as I had intended about, and Rodrigo, I'm so glad you brought it up, about the kind of political ideology in this universe, the libertarianism of it all, which is probably one reason it wouldn't fly as well made in 2021, uh, because, you know, height of the Cold War is... It's just an interesting thing where so much of this movie from the riddle of the steel to like the sword is the only thing you can trust is like the first line of dialogue in this movie, basically. Um, and just the idea that like you are responsible for your own destiny, self-reliance, rah, rah, rah. Um, it's hard to argue against in a barbarian society <laughs> where like if you're not competent with a sword, you are going to be enslaved, killed or worse. Uh, very easy to argue against in the society that I live in. Let's talk about it though, because I think I think I think I think that that gets to the heart of where we are in our culture right now. We, we're like in this culture war setup that is like brutal, right? And like, if you were to make a film supporting libertarian values, like in a very, you know, we're be let, let's say let's pretend Clint Eastwood doesn't make movies anymore. But like, you know <laughs> what I mean? It's going to make movies for at least another 30 years. Yeah, it's like, it's hard, man. We're, we feel we feel like we have to take a position as to whether we agree with that politics or not. You know, like it's 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 really tough. I, and I think like that's part of the reason why why these films feel like like they can't be made anymore. Lots of other reasons, of course. But but I think I don't think the film um, poses like libertarianism with all like like it doesn't show the shadows of it. It doesn't show like, you know, it, it kind of focuses on the positive sides of that philosophy mm -hmm. and it doesn't kind of like expose, you know, how it could be linked to an alt-right movement or, you know, some anti-Semitism or racism or stuff like that. It's, it's weirdly though, like, um, you know, when I've tried my hand at writing and enjoying telling stories, there is like this, and I don't know if it's just from growing up, in america but like it's it is hard to write like a the idea of like a socialist story and like i you know i know that you can go back and watch like it's more like true stuff when you look at like chinese chinese films or like russian movies from the eras where those were happening with more of that commentary it's hard i i'm, I'm trying to bring bring to my mind like some true like socialist action movies or ones that aren't just attempts at historical fiction it's tough it's a, it's a gritty subject and people i don't think audiences are willing to engage with them it's not very sophisticated and then you you end up coming on one side of the of the of the of, you know of the spectrum or the other and you don't really end up saying anything new or complicated you know like uh i was watching the other day generation kill have you guys seen that series hell yeah from hbo i've and, seen like and an like, episode yeah it, so you've seen the whole thing sage yeah, that's the that's the show where they sing a bunch of Alanis Morissette in their cars, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it's like they're in they're at war, and like there's nothing glorious about that war at all in any of the chapters, right? It's all like Bold really take. sad. What's up? Bold take. <laughs> you know, it's like it's hard. I feel like part of the problem we can't get excited about about this stuff yeah. anymore. 
Well, there is something about like the so, so the fantasy aspects of it. Like, and I, I think about like I I've been told that there are some problematic stuff in it that I don't remember, but like um, Stranger in a Strange Land is like that's one of the few pieces of like you know science fiction or fantasy that I can that I can remember that is very much more like sixties communal aspects and like your main character is someone who is much more libertarian and he's losing he's realizing that he's losing his grip on the society that he had and that he's being left Mm -hmm. behind uh and that he's in my memory at least he's remember he's realizing he's kind of wrong and that the world is passing him by and he needs to kind of catch up and that there are good things to be had by adopting this newer version of society um and i'm trying yeah I, I guess science fiction is a place where a lot more of that is lived like if you look at star trek you know obviously you've got this ideal society where no one fights on the bridge and uh you know basically this not globalization but like universalification has worked and like it's just solving diplomatically in general yeah i mean that's certainly like the the only approach to optimistic sci-fi it's either that or like <laughs> corporations control everything and everything's really bad but like the idea of putting a barbarian or nomads in space just doesn't work from like an economic perspective mm-hmm. because sorry i've been reading a lot of the expanse <laughs> and just the idea of like yeah just getting on a ship and crewing up is just like that would be economically impossible compared to getting I'm sure well, I'm sure even getting like a pirate ship and crew together is very difficult. Uh yeah. but compared to getting a horse and a sword and just stealing things like be a lot more economically complicated to be a space pirate. Yeah, Every time absolutely. you take it into port to repair it's going to cost a billion credits. <laughs> you better have been looting good or you you don't get another chance. Yeah, I that think my thought on space pirates. I, I think it's also like uh like um we're kind of in a moment where things feel a little cynical, you know? Mm-hmm. And I and I think uh, Conan Conan comes from a, a, another era, you know. That whole generation of films felt like one dude could figure it out, you know. <laughs> yeah. So you just got to go commando. Go commando. Well, I guess another, that means something different. And mm-hmm. another Arnold movie. Yeah. yeah. You just got to be a running man. Yeah, you got to be the predator and terminate. You got to jingle all the way. I feel hurt. Am I alone here? Am I? <laughs> no one's gonna go on this bit with me. All right. I, I don't. I don't have a mind for puns, but I am laughing. That's true. I'm in <laughs> the game. Doing that that classic <laughs> Rodrigo silent laughter that he does. Well, well, I think we got time for one recommendation each. If you if you loved Conan, or if you think it's better as a memory, <laughs> uh, what is something you will also like or like more? Um, I would say uh, I, I would go and watch either Predator or Total Recall after this. Yeah, Total Recall is probably my favorite of the Schwarzenegger canon. Uh, it's got the you know if you if you liked Conan screaming in pain. Wait till you see uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's head expand on Mars. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go with Total Recall too. Also, what? Both of those films were filmed in Mexico. Predator and Total Recall. Um, yeah, and uh, check out the soundtrack to Hawk the Slayer. <laughs> there you go. Cool. I'll do that right now. All right. 
Rodrigo, thank you so much for for joining us. We haven't talked much about you as a filmmaker, but you've always got stuff in the pipeline. Uh, do you want to plug anything? Uh, uh, you know, y- we've been working on a film that that you're a part of, and that that should be coming out in a few in a few months, hopefully. Really, maybe next early next year. All right. What's do we want to we want to call this out? Give a I, give a title. For oh, I don't want, I don't want to give a name for it. All okay. right. Future Untitled uh, Project. Yeah, Untitled Rodrigo Reyes Project featuring Sage Builderback. Yes. <laughs> you should probably just, it's, just stick with that. Sage is sound recordist. <laughs> is anything else? Is uh, is four ninety nine available? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually have a film that, that is finished, and uh, four ninety nine will be available in August for theatrical release in the U.S. So uh, folks in L.A., folks in the Bay, for sure, will get a chance to see it. Folks in... Uh, New York and other other select cities. Theatrical. So more, movies. You really never tell me anything, man. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, it, it slipped my mind. That's all right. And you can find his his other movies around. Look them up; they're good time. And well, a good time is probably not the right way to describe them, but they're good. <laughs> I like them. Thank you. I worked on some of them, so I guess to... that's also my plug. It was a pleasure to be here with you guys. Uh, talking Conan the Podbarian. <laughs> and you can follow us over at Still Good Pod on Instagram. Uh, find us wherever you found this podcast because I'm assuming the rest of them are there too. You can find me at Gavin V. Murray on Instagram. I have a new short out called The Interview about a vampire that has to poop. Uh, you can find that. <laughs> it's not the invite? That's what I said, isn't it? Oh, you said the interview. Oh, I meant the invite. <laughs> All right. Go look for for the invite. You could also watch the interview if you also get confused. Also a fun time, yeah. <laughs> I, I still got nothing, although I, I guess I'll have a movie out in a few months. <laughs> and you can find me at Hold for Plane. Thank you so much for coming to another episode. Go forth and crush your enemies. Bye. <laughs>